Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Year, session number 431. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking some time to join me today. Before we jump into our episode today, I want to let you know about the MCAT Minute, which is sponsored by Blueprint MCAT Prep. As you know, or maybe you don't, MCAT registration just opened if you're planning on taking the MCAT in these first few months of 2021, with more dates opening in the next few months. And I want you to let you know, if you haven't registered yet and you're planning to take the MCAT in March, April, or May, then you should go register as soon as you can. The MCAT is taken at testing centers that have limited seats available for each day the MCAT is offered. And the later, the longer you prolong your registration, the higher the likelihood that you will have to travel far distances to take the MCAT on a date or within a certain time period that you want to take the MCAT. So if you haven't yet, go check out Blueprint's MCAT test dates over at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT, see what dates are available, and go register for the MCAT as soon as you can so that you reduce the burden of travel and expenses and stress needed to take the MCAT. That's our MCAT Minute, again, sponsored by Blueprint Prep. Go check them out, blueprintprep.com. All right, so today's episode was one where I wanted to give you the discussion that we had on Ask the Dean today, which is typically a private live Facebook Q&A that we do for our MAPT members. So if you're you're not familiar, MAPT is a software platform that I co-founded and have developed and released last year in 2020 that now more than 1400 students are using to track their progress to medical school. And as part of a perk of a student being on that platform, there's a private Facebook group where we do live Q and A's every Monday called Ask the Dean. And today's, I, I really went on some rants and we covered some really interesting topics and questions. And I want to play those for you today. 
The Astadines, while they are live in this private Facebook group, we do have a podcast and a YouTube channel where we show them at a later date. So if you're interested and you you want more Q&A like our episode today, you can subscribe to the Ask the Dean podcast. I'm behind on releasing episodes there. More will come out shortly. Or on our YouTube channel, mapped.tv. That's M-A-P-P-D dot TV. You can find the recordings of our Facebook lives there. And if you haven't checked out Mapped yet, go check it out. There's free two-week trial available for you. You can enter your grades, see some beautiful graphs to help you decide if you're ready to apply to medical school or not. You can enter in your courses. You can enter in your activities, your MCAT scores. You can now start working on your applications inside of Mapped, including your extracurricular activities, your uh, TMDSAS secondary or, or optional essay and required essay, all of your your personal statements, depending on which application service you're applying to. Go check it all out. Free two-week trial at mapped.com. That's M-A-P-P-D.com. Let's go and jump into our Q&A today. First one up, I love when the question starts. I know Dr. Gray does not like this question, <laughs> but is 113 hours of clinical experience as a medical assistant over eight months, quote, enough? Mm. Check. I checked it off. Dr. Wright, is yeah. that enough? Um, you know what? I think I won't answer that directly. Um, what, what I would like to say is, as we say with so many of these questions, um, it depends a little bit on uh, other things in the application. But my, my feeling is that if there's some shadowing hours, if there's um, you know, other things in the application, uh, if 113 hours of clinical experience as a medical assistant over eight months, uh, if that's it, if that's all, all the students got, I, I think that's maybe a little concerning to me that um, it's uh, it, it may it may not be what I would be looking for. Um, I want a diversity of experiences. Uh, I certainly want to see a commitment to medicine. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, 113 hours over eight months, it's 13.3 hours a week. Yeah. That's not a whole lot. I just did the math. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that's not much yeah. over that long period of time. It, now my guess is that what, what I guess what I don't understand is I thought, you know, medical assistant is a job. Yeah. And it, typically, and if that's, if that's your job and you're only working 113 hours over eight months, that's a very part-time job, like super part-time job. So I, I guess what I would say is, is probably not um, what I would want to see. I, I, but again, it, it depends on what, what else is there uh, as to what, you know, what, what might um, mitigate that a little bit. Yeah, I, I I hate this question because it's yeah. like, is it eight yeah, hours four yeah. years ago? Is it yeah, or one hundred thirteen hours four years ago over eight months? Is it eight months 
past the submission of your application and you don't have any of the experiences to lean on? Is it eight right. months just prior? Like there, there are so many, it's too many questions, questions yeah. here. And is that yeah. all you have? And, and yeah. if that's all you have, I would say, no, it's not enough. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. But you, you're right that that question, just the question in and of itself smacks of checking a box. You know, did I do enough to check the box? Yeah. And that's, that's not, not a good mentality. Nope. It, it is not. Let me let me tell you. So today I, I recorded five episodes of application renovation, which I, I'm trying really hard to only pick students who unfortunately didn't get into medical school or currently waitlisted or whatever, who have really good stats. Like the the ones that I had today, they're like three six five fourteen, three seven five sixteen. This my last one that I just recorded before getting on with with you all. Was three nine nine science GPA, three nine six overall, five twenty one MCAT. Ooh, wow! And they didn't get in. Only two interviews, and zero acceptances. Both waitlisted wow. at both schools. Wow! And it's it's super clear as day in his application why that happened. And I, I just, I can't reiterate it enough. And Scott, you know this, right? You, you saw this on the other end, but I, I see it on, on this side. You, you've seen it on both sides, actually, from the pre-L side and the, the med school side, is students who think that stats are all you need yeah. and that's all the med schools care about. And, and there are these students out here, and you can call it anecdotal if you want, but there are students out here who are amazing on paper stat-wise who have zero idea, at least that they were able to communicate in their application, why they're doing this that medical schools won't touch with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. And I remember uh, years ago, I had a a student when I was uh, on the undergrad side in in pre-health advising where we, um, she came in to see me, she sat down, same kind of situation that you're just describing. Good numbers, great GPA. I can't remember if she had taken the MCAT yet or not. I seem to think maybe she had. But anyway, she had zero, zero clinical experience. And when I raised that as an issue with her, she got super offended uh, and actually, you know, complained to my <laughs> um, bosses and stuff and, and – uh, you know, and that I was being unrealistic and that I was being this or that or whatever. Well, she, she eventually got some clinical experience. She did get into medical school and she did come back later and apologize and really express that, um, that she sees now on the other end of things, kind of the bigger picture and stuff. And so I, I, I definitely think you're right, Ryan, that, that the, that the issue, um, is is a big one and medical schools really are trying to be holistic in their approach to these things and not be you know just centered in on on the numbers they're looking at what is your commitment to medicine how do you illustrate that uh, over a long-term experience or multiple experiences and uh, and what does that mean to you And, and what what have those things meant to you and that's that gets down to the the so what versus the what kind of thing that we talk about all the time, and uh, so you're you're exactly right, Ryan. It's it's not all about the numbers, and and uh, it really is an issue of mentality often. Yeah. 
All right, next question here. If I'm applying to both DO and MD school, should I make my personal statement for a Comus answer why DO? Or is why medicine sufficient? I wanted to use the same personal statement from AMCAS. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give you my answer based on please. what a Comus did. <laughs> please. I don't care if you want it. I'm giving it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, based on what a Comus did last year or two years ago now. They changed their essay length from 4,500 characters to 5,300 to match AMCAS. AMCAS, yep. In my mind, that action said, use the same essay. Yep, I, yep. <laughs> the, the, the application doesn't specifically talk about osteopathic medicine. Um, right. In my, my, new, uh, my new application book, I, I dig up all of the prompts and what they focus on. Secondary essays are where you were. Yeah. You will most likely talk about why osteopathic medicine. The yeah. personal statement is why do you want to be a physician? And again, yeah. getting back to application renovation today, one of the applications I reviewed was for a student who um, who applied to a Comus and had one sentence in the application that said osteopathic medicine. <laughs> it was like, blah, 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 blah. And this is why I like osteopathic medicine. Just completely out of the blue, didn't really fit with the rest of the context of the sentence, but just felt the need, like I, I have to mention osteopathic medicine. And that just made it worse, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think that, I think you're right that the secondary application is where that Often, you know, where schools will want to explore those things and where the student will have an opportunity to explore those those things in terms of osteopathic medicine and a commitment to that or a recognition of what it is all about and, and stuff like that. And obviously in the interview, that's going to come up uh, at almost every osteopathic school. Now, you know, it's interesting. Allopathic schools, it's not going to come up at all. They're not going to say, why allopathic medicine? Not osteopathic. Um, <laughs> right. Yep. And, but the osteopathic schools, it will definitely come up yeah. uh, in an interview. And, uh, and I, I, but I think that um, uh, I, I agree with you. I think that, the, you, you know, and even, even though uh, the TMDSAS uh, uh, personal statement length is, is slightly shorter uh, than the AMCAS and ACOMAS link, almost ex you, you should be able to use the same one for all three with a s small adjustment on the TMDSAS one. Yeah, that's that's what I tell students to do is is write the fifty three hundred character one, and if you're applying to TMDSAS as well, yeah, find three hundred characters to cut out. Yeah, yeah there's yeah. usually some to cut out there. Yeah, uh, uh, and yeah. While we're and, on and, this topic. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and that's it, right? Bringing up TMDSAS, you applied to MD and DO schools through TMDSAS with one personal statement. Yes, that's correct. So. That's correct. What I was going to say is while we're on this topic, uh, MAPT members, you can go into MAPT to the applications tab and look at the personal comments and personal statements prompts. I mean, you could also go create yourself a free account for AMCAS and ACOMAS, but it's baked right into MAP now. So yeah. you can see how very similar those prompts are. Yeah. Um, and honestly, how vague they are. You know, yeah. like they both the, offer the, some context, but the prompt yeah. itself for AMCAS is use the what space do you want provided. To say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Use the space provided to explain why you want to go to medical school. Yeah. 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 You, the, know, the you notice team, how I, it doesn't say 
use the space provided to show that you are good enough to be a, a physician. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. what most students interpret it as. Yeah. yeah. Why think, medical school? I think the, T, the TMD SAS one is a little bit more specific. Um, but I think in general, you know, that doesn't change the, 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 the reality that you should be able to use the same one for all three. Yeah. And again, you can see word for word, the prompts yep. mapped yep. members. So unmapped. head on into applications and you'll see how similar they are. Yeah. Yep. Uh, cool. All right. All right. Um, I won't throw this next one. Oh, that's just the feedback on what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, a lot of comments. I guess, so circling back to our talk about clinical. So somebody wrote in, uh, Dr. Wright spoke about commitment to clinical. What does it mean if I had eight years of full-time clinical job, then took another six years of gap and everything? Okay. Is it fine to have about four weeks of clinical? Sounds like it's been off and on, but steady. Hmm. That's the way I read that. If I had eight years of full-time clinical job and then took another six years gap in everything that pre-med has to do due to personal reasons of about three years before application it is fine to have four hours a week Ah. going back to what we were mentioning earlier like we said three that 3.3 hours a week yeah like that wasn't a a knock on only 3.3 hours a week it was a knock on 113 hours over eight months, like that's all you have. That yeah. just equals 3.3. Like if someone yeah. for a long time has this extended commitment and then either life changes and need a new job or whatever that looks like, it's consistently getting four hours a week for, they said, what, three years away from applying? Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, the broader context that's that's available now <laughs> Uh, helps with helps with my answer and yours. Yeah. You know what what you guys are all saying is yeah. I, I that that the picture now is is a little bit more clear and I agree with you, Ryan. Yeah, yep. yeah. I know um, it's tempting, right? Because every, you want rubrics, right? You guys want to hear numbers. You want to yeah. hear metrics that you can say I have accomplished. Yep. But that's not really what clinical is about. It's about showing a long-term commitment and interest in working with patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of ways to shape that. Yeah. I, and let Absolutely. me let me ask you Scott. So I, I again just because it's top of mind, um this actually this the same student I was talking about this Acomas application earlier. Uh he's an engineer, works full-time as an engineer does have clinical experience, does have good clinical experiences, has been given feedback that he is not showing that he's committed to medicine because he's not quitting his full-time job where he probably makes a good amount of money to focus on healthcare-related things. And I I told him, like, you don't need to quit your job. You don't don't need to go get a low-paying job as a scribe or an EMT just to show that you're committed. Now, that's not to say that maybe you work 30 hours a week instead of 40 as an engineer to give you a little bit more time for more clinical experience, but it's not an all or none thing. That's quitting your job. It doesn't make you go, Oh, I you're committed now. I see that. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I don't like the idea of forcing somebody to, 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 you know, change the entire reality of their life to, to make it fit into this, sort of stereotypical picture of what somebody thinks a pre-med passion look like. 
Yeah. Um, Particularly I, yeah. one that assumes you're wealthy enough to not have income. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's, that's the exactly exact right. opposite of what we're about here. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I, I agree with you completely, uh, Ryan and, and Rachel, you too on that one. All right. So changing topics. What do you do? What do you do? How do you do? What do you do when you see yourself plateauing in MCAT studying? I've consistently held 509, 510 on the past few tests, and I'm wondering how to break through. I test March 26. Rachel, you're up. Sounds like a Rachel question. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So first of all, uh, you don't have to tell me, but ask yourself. I don't really care that you're getting 509, 510. I mean, that's great. Good job. What I want to know is what you're getting on each of your sections. Right. So um, I've mentioned this many times. I'll continue to mention it. If you go to the Blueprint MCAT blog, they've got an article that my old colleague Brian Schnedeker wrote like seven or eight years ago. That's still true. It's called How Do I Know? Am I Ready to Take the MCAT? And it walks you through doing analysis of your last four or five practice tests and looking at the average of the section scores. So that's sort of step one is get away from the composite and look at the up and down patterns by section. And then if you're plateauing at a number that, you know, is pretty good, I respect that you want more, you've got a month, no reason not to shoot for more, then you need to be diving way deeper than just your section score, right? You need to be looking at every question, whether you got it right or wrong. So it might take you one to two times as long to review your MCAT as it took you to take it. So if you're at the point a month from your MCAT, my guess is you're probably done with content. You're probably done with drilling sections. You're probably just taking full links at this point. You might only have time to take one a week because you spend eight hours taking the exam and then another eight to 15 hours reviewing it each week. Um, and really looking at every question, whether you got it right or wrong, what the takeaway is. And, um, you know, depending on the company you're using for your prep, you may have some detailed analysis to look at that'll show you breakdown by critical reasoning skill or, or topic. And you need to start zeroing in on both the tiny little things you're still getting wrong, but also anything you're getting right when it comes to critical reasoning, how you can apply that to other questions. Hope that helps. Yeah. Good answer. Good, good. And to not freak out about plateaus, right? They're they're there. Uh -huh. They happen. Yeah, they're normal. And honestly, yep. you might go down again. I mean, I'm not trying to jinx you, but that is most progress looks like this before it goes <laughs> up, you know? So if you get a five of seven, you might get a five twelve next time. And again, go back to those section scores. Yeah. All right. My second favorite question here. Oh, how do you interpret medical school or AMCAS stats in the sense that we have access to information regarding median MCAT and GPA scores? So hypothetically, if our GPA falls below a median GPA score, let's say the median is 396 for the school. <laughs> oh, Lord. Then yeah. are students already at a disadvantage applying to the school with the GPA MCAT below median? Obvious letters of rec, research, extracurricular play a role, but I'm curious if medical... Admissions committees have these stats in the back of their mind. Oh, Lord. I like this one. I talk about this one all the time. So, Talk about it. Dr. Scott Wright, if, if a medical school has a median, right, and, and I'm glad the student correctly said median. The MSAR shows median, not mean or average. If, 
if a medical school has a median, let's say, of a, a 396, as the student says, which is, is Would ridiculous. Would not be true. Yeah, that's not true. Anyway, yeah. uh, let, let's say it's a 38. Like, let's, let's, let's go 38 as a median GPA. And a student has a 36 GPA. Should they go, oh, I'm not good enough for this school? No. No, no. Easy, right? Half of the yeah. class has below a 3.8 GPA. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that is the exact. And, and that's what I don't understand about this question is it doesn't, it, it uses this term median and it's talking about this median, you know, of th- this magical, uh, you know, median of, of 3.96. And, and then it says, at a disadvantage to applying to that school with a GPA below the median. Well, 50% of the people that got in were below the median. Yeah. So why on earth would you not apply there? Yeah. I don't, I just don't understand the question. Um, yeah. yeah. So let me, let me ask, I understand the question cause I get it all the time and, and you do too. The, the question at the end of the day comes down to, uh, especially students who are more limited in their funding in, yes. in terms of how many schools they can apply to. And that's a whole different conversation about how ridiculous it is to charge per school, um, which is why I love right. DSAS and it's just one yeah. flat fee yeah. is, um, is how do I know if I have limited funds to apply to medical schools, right? And this is the flack that I get when I talk about don't use stats to apply to medical school is students push back and be like, I can only apply to five schools, 10 schools, whatever right. it is. Yeah. I need to make sure I'm applying to schools where I have a chance. And, and that thought process alone in my mind just doesn't logically make sense because assuming you have good stats, not amazing 4.0, 521 MCAT, but you have good stats and, and we can't really define that for anyone. But assuming that, the, the at the end of the day, we are lacking data. Scott, and you heard my talk about this at, at in Toronto. Yes, is is medical schools don't publish correct their cutoffs. Not all medical schools publish their cutoffs, and schools right. have cutoffs. And they yeah. some will say we review all applications. And that just means we don't have cutoffs, but we'll, we're still going to rank them <laughs> highest stats to yes. lowest stats. And we may not get yeah. to yours, but, <clears throat> but if, if schools would publish over the course of five years, right their their concerns, the, the excuse that I got was, well, if, if we publish <clears throat> the lowest MCAT score from, from the class of 2024, Everyone's going to know who that student is. I'm like, well, that's pretty crappy that you would think that. How how would you know? Be like, oh, it's the Brown student who got the lowest score. Like, like who who would who would think that? Like, how am I going to know out of a class of 200 people who's got the lowest who's got score? The lowest score. It's ridiculous to think that unless someone is thinking in in that yeah. obviously racist way that I just said it. Right. It just doesn't make sense, and so. Maybe we publish like here's the last five years. Over the last five years, our average lowest MCAT score that we accepted was a 498 or mm-hmm. was a 502, whatever that mm-hmm. may be. Mm-hmm. And our average lowest GPA, science GPA, was a 32. Mm-hmm. Right? That would give amazing detail into a process for students to go. 
okay, the average over the last five years, lowest science GPA was a 3.2. I have a 3.4. Their median is a 3.7. That means I probably have, I, I'm competitive enough ballpark, yeah. to still mm-hmm. get a look. Let <clears throat> right. me apply. Right. Right. And so I just, it, it pisses me off that schools are, are not more transparent about this process and, and come up yeah. with excuses as why they can't be um, right. to the detriment of students, which is why we see average number of schools being applied to every year going up and up and up, up and up. 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 Yep. And yep. schools benefit from that. Double AMC benefits from that. Yeah. Liaison and Acomas benefit from that. Yeah. Like it's, it's a effed up process. Yeah. So here's what I want to chime in from a different lens, because I think I know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons students ask us these questions, but one of the reasons students fixate on stats is because um, if you were fortunate enough to have guidance in your college admissions process, you were told that this is the way it works, right? That you got to look at your SAT, ACT, and you got to look at your GPA, and you got to look at your class rank. And then that all of those things matter, not just to get in, but because colleges are also unfairly fixated with their U.S. News World Report ranking, right? So, like, there's a reason that schools like Harvard will tell kids with 3.2 to apply. They may have a chance of getting in, but it's more about Harvard wants to be able to say they turn away 95% of the applicants. So, they're happy to have people apply (laughs) who aren't aren't probably in league for the, the, the class that they're accepting that year because they want to turn away a lot of people. And med schools don't play that game. I mean, there's a lot with the med school application process that I do think is unjust or just honestly could just be more transparent, even if it is just. Um, but they're not playing a rankings game like that. And that's where a lot of that data stuff comes from. So yeah. If, and again, I know people are asking this question from a lot of reasons, right? Maybe it's how many schools should I apply to? Maybe it's I'm looking for one that's a match. But the idea of match, right? If you're thinking safety, match, reach, doesn't really work like that with med school. Mm-hmm. You know, there really are no safeties for one thing. <clears throat> right. Um, right. And I don't think that there's a big distinguishing between match and reach in, in a process where about 40% of the people who apply get in. Like everything's a little bit of a reach and you just try anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, we spent a lot of time kind of talking about why this process is unjust. What I want to remind anyone who's really fixated on the numbers is Ryan's advice is don't look, yep. just don't look at the numbers. <laughs> uh, my advice is if you have to look, look at the 10% cutoff. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's my advice. Too, at least then you you're getting to. a, what? I said, that's my advice too. If you have to, then look at the 10th percentile. Yeah. Yeah. But let, let me, let me extend my rant. Just this is, <laughs> this, this is, I'll, I'll give you the spotlight. Back, back up on the soapbox. <laughs> oh, wait, that's guy. me. That's okay. me. There you go. <laughs> All right. I'm back up on my soapbox. So, so this is the, the explanation that I give and, and it may completely be false, but it makes sense in my mind is, if students are only looking at the MSAR for picking schools to apply to, and and they go onto the MSAR and go, okay, I have a 3.8 GPA and a 5.15 MCAT score, 
And these are the schools that I'm gonna apply to. And the other students who have three fives and five tens, these are the schools that I'm gonna apply to because this is what the MSAR is for. I'm gonna pick my schools based on my stats. What in theory students are doing year in and year out is perpetuating the same stats year in and year out. When you only give schools the opportunity to accept and reject students within a given GPA range, because that's what the MSAR says, well, guess what the MSAR next year is going to say? It's going to have this same exact GPA and MCAT range. You're not giving the schools an opportunity to tell you yes or no. You are saying yes or no before that ever happens. Yep. Yep. You're, you're, you are uh, acting as your own admissions committee and saying no. Yep. Yeah. And what's, I mean, funny, like funny, sad, not funny. Ha ha. What's <laughs> funny about that is that one of the things we hear from, from you guys a lot is like, you feel sometimes like people in your life are telling you no. Right. Um, you know, if mm-hmm. you're frustrated with mentors or work supervisors or doctors, you know, or, you know, whoever who are, who are saying, oh, you got those two C's, I don't know, or you're a full-time engineer, I don't know. Like, don't tell yourself no either. Yep. All right. I'm off my soapbox. We can continue. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see where I lost my thread here. Okay. That's a lot, a lot of good ones today. Yeah. In short, I have an ample amount of teaching experience and absolutely want teaching to be a part of my career in medicine. After my clinical experience, I know I want to combine the best of both worlds, best of both worlds, medicine and teaching. I'm a non-trad and know that my career goals are to go into academic medicine in some form. Should I be specific about my aspirations on my application? Hmm. Hmm. Scott, what do you hmm. think? Um, I think it would be beneficial uh, to to connect the two, um, but you know I, I think until you're into the environment of medical education and and, and what that looks like, uh, you, you may not know for sure. But I think from your vantage point uh, early on in the process, um, I think that expressing your how much you like teaching and uh, maybe mentoring and uh, that you want that to be a part of your, uh, of your career. Um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense uh, to, to do that. Uh, that doesn't replace, obviously, clinical experience and, and et cetera in terms of uh, uh, what you want to have present in your application. But I think in terms of the personal statement, for example, or in the application itself, connecting all that together <coughs> uh, makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's getting harder and harder to keep uh, good students in, in academic medicine because it's it's just not as lucrative uh, as uh, private practice or, or whatever. Uh, so, so academic medicine can be, uh, you know, can be a bit of a challenge for, for uh, students to see the, the, the benefit in terms of the bottom line on their budget, for example. Uh, but I think that, uh, uh, if you know for for you know for sure that teaching is really important to you and you like it, and I, I say go for it. 
Yeah, that that kind of stuff can come through. I, I typically wouldn't recommend it for a personal statement, um, but that stuff can come through in the activity list where you're going to talk mm-hmm. about teaching because that's what you've been mm-hmm. doing for a while, and and making a, a comment in there about your your future uh, as an educator in in medicine. I think yeah. is an appropriate comment. Yeah, and, and so, there are some secondary application essays which will ask about if you had to dream about your what your future would look like, um, you know, what, what do you anticipate that might be looking like, at least at this point in your, in your, in your progress. And so that, that is not a, uh, probably a, a not common a, a question in a secondary application, but it's not rare either. And so I think that, uh, you know, that would be another place where that might come out. Yeah. How is a patient transport aid viewed by medical schools? If I have the option to do scribing or transport, I assume scribing would be would give me better clinical experience. Yeah. Generally, I would say, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I've I've heard from some students who who don't, or from I've heard from some students who have heard from medical schools that there are some medical schools out there that don't consider transport as clinical experience. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not something that you can really control. I think right. uh, some students will say, should I reach out to schools? I'm like, no, just mark it as clinical on your application and let them do what hope, they're going to do with <laughs> it. Hope, yeah. hope they'll like it. Yeah. Well, and like we've said so many times with jobs that are uh, sort of more entry level, take transport if that's the way to get the job and then see if you can yeah. shift. Yeah. Par- parlay yeah. that into something different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Is that a good, absolutely. good use of parlay? I've definitely had plenty of people transport me who could have used more training. <laughs> like, And I don't mean, I just mean in like the basic stuff, like I sprained my ankle yet again and you just pushed my foot into the door. Ow. You know? why, <laughs> so why if you're one of the people who can in? really steal or steal, steer me in a wheelchair and not knock me into things, I will let you a lot. Well, I, I'm excited for the day when we have the, the Amazon warehouse robots that just slide under a, a stretcher lift it up and then just take you like, yeah. that's the future Wherever. of patient transport. Yeah, yep. I agree. You're going to have robots in the, robots in the, uh, in the OR, then why not robots transporting them from, you know, yep. one place to another? Yep. Exactly. Well, inputting activities on maps, I find myself feeling uneasy listing, let alone describing relief or volunteer work. How would you recommend describing these experiences without sounding self-centered, prideful, all while not undermining the work itself? Well, so I, I, I do have an opinion, a definite opinion about this question, because so, so I, I think in my experience a lot of applicants fear coming across as arrogant or prideful or what was the other word that they use in this uh, uh, self-centered. And I think the chances of that happening are really low. In other words, I think if you're a relatively well-adjusted, centered, balanced person and uh, you're going to input the, the things that you're doing, and you're going to be talking about what you did. I mean, the application is all about you. Of course, it's going to be self-centered. It's all about you. Uh, but you're not going to, I mean, the chances of you coming across as, as prideful or arrogant are really low. And, uh, and, and I think if, if you're, and, and my feeling is, 
if you're asking that question, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. Because you're self-aware, number one. Yeah. So just the fact that you're asking that question and that it's this is on your mind, uh, you know, you're not going to be coming across that way. Is is my my gut reaction is that I wouldn't worry about it. Just do the application, answer the questions, describe what you did, what you got out of those experiences. Um, it, you, you know, the the I I I really literally over the thousands of applications I reviewed. Uh, over my 25 years in 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 uh, medical education, I would say it is. I could count really very 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 low numbers where I thought it came across as really you know kind of outrageous. So yeah, uh, it's not going to happen. And the the other side is is often concerning or concerning for students is especially in a disadvantaged essay is I don't want to feel like they need to pity me, right? It's, right. it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. And it's the same response is and, unless you are trying to, to get that sentiment across, then they're, you're probably just fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this person literally meant in the activity section or if they meant like, I'm actually applying this year and I'm working on my official activities descriptions. Um, but I just wanted to make that distinction because especially if you're not applying this year and you're just sort of logging your activities as you go, but that's the whole point of the reflection is just brain dump. Yep. Don't even yep. worry about how you sound, just yep. get it all down because yep. later you can go and look at, you know, that those notes that are going to be way too long and way too rambly and cut them down. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, if you're worried about how it sounds, then I would say, say it out loud to a friend and turn on, you know, the Google voice type to talk, to talk so it'll type yeah. what you talk, because yeah. you'll be surprised how natural it will come out if you just talk about talk it. Talk it out, yeah. yeah. Which, um, just a random thought that popped into my head, uh, this is, this is mapped, um, this is how map un unfolds for everyone in, in real time. When you mentioned, right, just do a brain dump and don't think about it, uh, I had this random thought that came across my mind when students are doing these random dumps in the activity section or as uh, with new updates, it'll be in your courses, it'll mm -hmm. be as part of your MCAT score. Um, mm -hmm. You can have these reflection boxes uh, and your courses. Did I say courses? <coughs> um, mm -hmm. You can have that in, in your, your uh, reflection boxes. I think it'd be interesting to, to think about the ability to mark those as private so that an advisor doesn't have access to some thoughts that a student may have. Mm, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I agree with that. I, cause that might um, cause a little bit of hesitation yep. uh, to, to put things out there. Just that dump uh, mentality. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, if you guys want to comment, if that's interesting to you, if you'd like to be able to mark things private um, so that they're not visible with when you give read-only access to your advisor, we'd be interested to know if you'd like that feature. Yeah. All right, we probably have time for one or two more. Yeah, for sure. After doing some research, future pun intended, I found that NIH grants are given out 800 times more often to MDs versus DOs. As I am interested in pursuing some research in medical school, is that enough reason to the question why MD over DO? 
So here's here's where let's use our research brain. Correlation mm-hmm. doesn't equal causation. Right. The question is, if this is a true statement, which I don't know if it is, uh, if the NIH truly does give out 800 times more often to MDs versus ZOs, <clears throat> the question is why? Is mm-hmm. it is it just MD because they're MDs versus DOs? We don't know, right? That's just what it says right there. Um, what we do know is that DOs are still relatively new in the in the medical world. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are far, far, far more MDs graduating every year than DOs. Mm-hmm. Um, that MDs, the education has typically access to, um, to these big urban academic centers where research right. is usually being done, and so right. MD right. students are typically more exposed to research potentially. And there's and, also more MD PhD dual programs mm-hmm. than there are DO PhD. Dual yeah. That's right. Yeah. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah. That's so right. they they take that exposure from medical school, the MD students do, and continue that forward in their career. But that's not to say that as a DO, if you are really interested in research, you can't go forge your own path and go get those grants yeah. too. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, I think that, um, you know, you, you set your goals the way you set them. But I, I do think that you have to look when when you're looking at the individual medical schools, whether it's DO or ND, you have to look look at what are their values, what is their mission, uh, what do they do at their institution, where is their institution located? Is it is it uh, within the context of a a general academic um, institution, uh, or is it a standalone uh, and doesn't really have any connection to anything outside of anything outside of medicine. So for example, uh, I think a couple of good examples for uh, in the DO world are Michigan State and uh, and University of North Texas, uh, where these are DO schools, but they're within the context of an academic health science center. They're within, within the context of the broader scope of what higher education is all about, which is you know, one of those things is research, uh, is what higher ed is, is all about. And so I think you, you have to look, d- drill down to the individuality of the, of the medical schools uh, and in matching your goals as a, as a student and ultimately as a practitioner and make sure that they match with the goals and the values and the mission of the institutions you're looking at. And, uh, and just, you know, uh, because you're, I, I think uh, in, in some cases you're right. You, you can look at an individual DO school and say this DO school is, is not, generally speaking, uh, a big research institution. It's not going to, it's not doing a lot of stuff. It's not, you know, their focus is teaching. Their focus is primary care. Their focus is whatever. So, Yeah. Um, as a quick addendum, so we sort of addressed the first part of this. The second part is, is that enough to answer the question, why MD over DO? And I don't know if you misheard us before. We were actually saying that why MD yeah, over DO is rarely ever asked. Yeah. DO I, over MD is sometimes asked. But um, yeah. uh, if you think about often in culture with much thornier issues than allopathic versus osteopathic, the dominant group centers 
So marginalized groups are forced to express themselves and dominant groups are sort of given a given. That's kind of the way it goes with MDDO to some degree. Like there's an assumption that that's the norm. Now I disagree with that assumption, but there are way more schools that are MD. Like you can't deny the numbers. Right. Um, So yeah. And worldwide, you know, osteopathic medicine only exists in the United States at any, at, 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 any you know, education well, level, right? And yeah. Any, yeah, there are osteopaths so, in other countries, but they're more like chiropractors, right? Like the right. way we use that word is different, right? Right. And so I, you know, I think that, so I agree with you uh, completely, Rachel, on that. Yeah, that's, just, yeah. just just a, a extension of that point, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I I don't like the term osteopath for that specific reason, right? I I prefer osteopathic physician. Right. Uh, because osteopath is a career field in the rest of the world, which is basically right. like a chiropractor, physical therapist kind of person. Yeah. Our osteopaths are osteopathic physicians. And right. I, I got mad at CNN when they were talking about Trump's physician being an, an osteopath. I'm like, he's not an osteopath. He's an osteopathic he's physician, which it, it, it confuses people because then they go and look up what's an osteopath and they see, oh, it's not even a physician. Because they're mm-hmm. looking at what the rest of the world calls an osteopath. So Yeah, I mean, in my mind, okay, so it's, you know, doctor of medicine, doctor of osteopathy, doctor. They're just doctors. Yeah. Really. I don't, yeah. I mean, I, when I see my DO doctors, I don't, I, well, usually I call my doctors by my first name because, you know, I want that kind of parody in my relationships. <laughs> but if I'm calling them by their title, I just say doctor. Yeah. I don't yeah. care about the DO versus MD. Yeah, and I think generally speaking, uh, the the general public uh, doesn't care, yep. and they just want to get they they just want to feel better. Yep. You know they you know they they they're and 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 I would say chances are often the case, particularly when you're talking about uh, urgent you know acute issues that that you know they're not even going to know what what whether you're a DO or an MD, they're, they're just going to, you know, so, yeah. Yep. And an extension of that, that question is I would like to see what the NIH uh, grants are in the last 10 years, right? Is that Mm -hmm. 800 to to one? Is that over the course of the lifetime, even before? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting to know. Can we can we do one more? I think that one about financial aid would be a great one to do. Yeah, that's what I was going to put up. So uh, our friend here forgot about the 400 character limit, so we're not going to be able to get it all, but we can get the bulk of the first yeah. question at least. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this. I'm anxious about financial aid concerning medical schools, specifically is working a full-time and part-time job after college frowned upon in the sense that upon admission, a medical school may offer you a smaller financial aid package or deem you not... Uh, qualified for financial aid. What has been your experience along these lines? I guess part two of this question is how full-time, part-time clinical and or research jobs are considered by something. And admissions committee, yeah. yeah. So I, I really like this question because I think this concerns a lot of students. And I think it, the, the the point here, and I, I the, the point that you made earlier, Rachel, uh, contrasting undergraduate institutions with medical schools is applicable to this question as well. Okay. The, 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 the financial aid picture for medical school students is so much different than it is for an undergraduate institution. 
an undergraduate. They don't, they don't typically medical schools are not doing a whole lot of leveraging of financial aid to get, you know, these, you know, to get their class and stuff like that. I think that, um, you know, what you, what you find in, in, in the medical school world is that they're, Different schools are going to have different um, ways that they allot financial aid. And, and when I talk, when I say financial aid, there's different types of financial aid. There's there's institutional aid, scholarship, you know, such as scholarships or grants, and then there's there is federal, you know, or state aid. Uh, some states have their own aid programs for medical school students or or, or whatever. So, but w- what I what I want to say is that. Um, Generally speaking, there is plenty of money to go around to go to medical school. Now, most of that money is going to be loan money for for almost every student. If you don't if you, if you don't have super rich parents that can finance this whole thing, which man, I wish wouldn't that be great? <laughs> can can uh, they adopt me, please? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but if you don't have you know a buttload of money sitting somewhere, then you're going to be taking out loans. Uh, you're going to be, uh, and those loans, even the loans uh, for medical school education are different than they are at the undergraduate level. You have a longer period of time for uh, for uh, repayment. Um, often, often medical schools will try to lump a lot of uh, their institutional aid into um, uh, into the first or second year uh, because that that makes a difference in terms of the, the uh, w- when you're repaying the loans in terms of the amount of interest that you're paying uh, on those loans. And so, uh, so I think that the, what I get as a sense from this question or is a, an uneasiness about number one, am I going to be able to finance medical school education? And then in, and yes, the qu- the answer is yes. Um, if you're a, if you're a citizen, a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident, uh, then you're going to be able to finance your medical education. Now, the, the other part of this question is about if I work, 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 work really hard and save up a whole bunch of money uh, to be able to help me pay for medical school, is that going to affect how much uh, and, and the answer is really no. Yeah. It's not going to affect it at any, you it's know, at, need at any at all. Yeah, it's really not need based at all. It's 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 what they're really looking for is how do we get these kids through medical school? And uh, and so I think uh, I think this is a good question. It's an important question. Uh, but I for this particular question, I, I would say don't worry about that. If you're in my advice to, to all of you guys that are listening to this podcast or watching this video or are certainly live now is in preparing for medical school, save as much money as you can, pay off as much debt as you can before you get to medical school, watch out for credit cards. And, uh, and then that's, that's what you can do. Uh, That's, you know, that's what is, is, uh, is, is a great, is a great deal for you. Um, And I remember last year at national pre-med day, we had um, Travis, student Travis, Travis Hornsby from student loan planner, and he was talking about making decisions that help you save money. Um, and he's worked with paying off debt for a lot of people who are have MDs and GDs. And his rationale was, 
pay close attention to where you live and what you drive and don't worry about anything else. So like yep. you may have to suck it up and get a roommate or even the two or three roommates. Mm -hmm. um, you may have to drive a crappy used Corolla. I love my used Corolla. <laughs> um, uh, I have a Prius now. I gave my used Corolla to my nephew. Now he's driving it, <laughs> but I love that thing. Um, but other than that, he was like, if you want the Starbucks, get the Starbucks. If you want the new backpack, if you need the new laptop for school, like just buy it. Right. But he was like, just, you know, save in those two big areas if you can. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, that attitude to me makes a lot of sense because you work so hard. Little luxuries can go a long way to making you feel better on a daily, weekly basis. But yeah. you got to save at the big places. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, folks, cool. that is all we have. Uh, yeah, it's all for today. Wow. All right. There you have it. Great Q&A. Again, if you want more episodes like this, go subscribe to Ask the Dean in your favorite podcast player of choice or go subscribe at mapped.tv. That's M-A-P-P-D dot TV. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.